Welcome everybody to Tuesday Morning Ryan, episode number 44. Today we have Ryan Yaka with us. Ryan is the VP of Product Marketing and Head of Content over at Key Factor. Super experienced in building marketing programs for startups and high growth tech companies. Uh, was the Director of Product Marketing over at Tricentis and then uh, also did a stint at Macy's and I think CGI, right? So we're going to well, learn everything you wanted to know. Yeah, <laughs> everything all of our uh, listeners that are in the startup ecosystem wanted to know about marketing, uh, we'll talk about. So I met Ryan uh, at a coffee shop based on a recommendation from a mutual colleague that we have. And basically, uh, Ryan put myself and our chief revenue officer through a boot camp in about an hour. And I was like, dude, you got to get on the podcast. It was the coffee. That's what we had. That was the reason. We had like five espressos and I was just talking yeah. 100 miles an hour. And that's that's how we got through it in that, that short amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. So Ryan, let's, I thought how we like to start it off is just like your background. How did you yeah. get into marketing and, and kind of your journey? Yeah, so I got into marketing in a very non-traditional way. I feel like a lot of people, well, first of all, I think they go to they go to college uh, or they start at an entry level kind of marketing job, go to college, do some get some marketing degree or whatever, and they happen to get into marketing usually through like an agency. It's usually I've seen this happen. So lots of agencies out there to help you with PPC and SEO and email and all these kinds of things you just kind of want to outsource, right? So a lot of them kind of go that route. And then they kind of say, either you like the agency side or you say, I want to get back into doing something that's more on uh, with a, at a full time at a company and, and be in that marketing program there. That's usually the way uh, marketing people kind of come about. Yeah. Uh, mine's totally different. Uh, I started, so I graduated with a finance degree uh, and then I went into being a software tester. Uh, was the first job I had. This was back in 2010. So as you know, Christian, the economy was really just yeah. thriving. You know, it was you know, every I was getting job offers like crazy. Uh, no, that's the complete opposite, right? I was like going to every single day. I was going and going to the internet and typing in, you know, entry level jobs for college kids. Can I get it some type of job? <laughs> The heart of the recession, <laughs> yeah, like the, everybody's like, nightmare to graduate college when there's oh no jobs. man, it was bad. Yeah. And and before I got to uh, so before I got became a software tester, I was actually making donuts at this place called Dutch Monkey Donuts in in Cumming, Georgia. And I was waking up at three o'clock in the morning and going making donuts. And then, uh, you know, I, I when I got home, I was just online calling people, just trying to get a job. I got turned down probably like I don't know twelve times in interviews I went to, and so it was really encouraging, you know, back then. Um, but you no, know, I got my first job as a software tester, and uh, it's with a company called CGI that stands for Consultants to Government and Industry. They're a Canadian company, um, and uh, they're a consulting software company. So I, I got my first start there. I moved to Troy, Alabama, with my wife, uh, South Alabama. Never thought I'd ever. Uh, be in South Alabama for a job. Uh, I didn't know they even had tech jobs down there, but uh, yeah, they had, there's a, a great um, a great uh, facility down there, a good campus uh, right next to Troy University, actually. Yeah. And I was there for about a year and a half just doing software testing. So anytime development was uh, pumped out from the consultant or from the clients we had, we do you know we do our testing and make sure it's good to go. And and uh, during that time, I got to know a lot of I. Fell in love with the software space, software world, and uh, I started to to own or, or to be really a part of this one of these pr products that CGI was selling. It was called ATSM, which was automated. I think it stands for automated testing, automated testing ATSM, automated testing solution management, something like that. I love how CGI names things exactly what they are, like yeah. their company. <laughs> yeah, and I, I wish I remembered it, but uh, it's basically an automated testing framework, right? And um, and so uh, what I was doing though was we were basically building out these these automated frameworks for web testing and for uh, client application testing. And so I started to actually demo that software to our internally to our clients. So I got my first start, which I'm, this makes a point. I'm getting to, which is like, I started the, in that area, I started to get into uh, sales engineering. So in sales engineering, what you're doing is you are basically selling the value of the product and showing you have technical expertise and showing differentiation. You're doing all these things that marketing, you end up doing in marketing. That's exactly what you end up doing, right? Uh, then from there, I moved uh, uh, back to, to Georgia. I worked at Macy's uh, IT division. And um, I was an enterprise software testing lead there. And I, I got out of the whole uh, sales engineer aspect because I was going right back into testing. So I was there for about a, about two years. And a company reached out to me called QA Symphony. 
And they said, hey, we basically want people that know the space, the software testing space, but don't want to be a software tester, but know how to sell the software. So I took the experience I got from CGI being a sales engineer, uh, that brief time I was there, and my just appetite for not wanting to be in IT really full-time anymore. And I moved to QA Symphony, uh, where I was uh, the lead sales engineer there. Do you remember and, how big QA Symphony was at the time? Because they're like a well, very well-known start, successful, have as exited startup here in Atlanta, yep. but... I imagine they were probably pretty small when you started. Oh, yeah. We were 10 people. So, I mean, yeah. we were crammed in. We were subleasing. Uh, we had a we had a, we had a, uh, uh, a very small um, office space. It was right across from Prominence uh, Tower now in Atlanta, right across from Tech Village. We were in Tech Village. And we moved out of there and we were sub, <laughs> sub-renting like part of that office because we just were, we were so small. But then we took that company. We went from 10 people to 150 people within like four years. And we just yeah. had this insane growth. I mean, it was, it was insane growth of, of just basically uh, selling software, uh, software testing solutions um, to enterprises and to uh, been enterprise companies. And so it was a fun ride. I mean, that was, that was, it was basically like, I always talk about, it's like lightning in a bottle. And, you know, as I was there, I was basically talking to uh, our CMO and our head of demand gen. And they were asking me things like, Hey, like, how do you position this? What should the website say about that? Could you get on a webinar and talk about best practices for agile software testing? And so I started to get more and more into the marketing world. And then it kind of just so happened that I was in the marketing world so much. They said, we need to create a position, which is, that's where I became director of product marketing. And so that's when I first got my first official marketing job um, that I got at QA Symphony. And then at Tricentis, I was global director of product marketing. And now I'm VP of product marketing and content over here at Key Factor. So that's a quick synopsis of how I got to marketing, which is not anywhere near usually the traditional role that people usually uh, get, get pushed in when they get into product marketing. Yeah, there's something special about like uh, growing up in an industry and uh, you just have so many different perspectives. So now, now you uniquely understand the challenge of a marketer trying to understand the product and position it in the market. You know what I mean? So that's, there's always some goodness to be had there. Um, key factor. So you've been there. How long have you been key factor now? Uh, coming up on two years. So I joined um, back in March when the pandemic uh, just kicked off. So that yeah. was fun. That was a great. That was a great time to switch jobs. <laughs> it was a great time uh, to switch jobs until it wasn't. It was like, oh gosh, like now. That's I have when our to... chief revenue our chief revenue officer started at that same time, and he was like, oh no, what did I do? Oh, I, yeah, it's I like... resigned and joined the startup. <laughs> it's true, man. It was crazy. I was I. I have never had like a panic attack ever, and I never. I didn't have one. I didn't. I, but I got to close to one as I ever had. During the pandemic, because it was just a, you know, and, you know, getting starting a new job is stressful enough. But when you <laughs> layer on the fact that, hey, your kids are now at home with you. Hey, you can't go in the office. Hey, all those people you're going to hang out with and, and, and get a jump start on the industry and know the space and meet your team. All that's on hold. I mean, it was just, it was just, yeah. you know, one after the other. So it was pretty crazy, but, uh, uh, made it through. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a good, good, you know, good learning experience for me as well, just to be able to, take charge and manage remotely really fast and figure it out. So when you started in like a tech company, like key factors, supposed to do the, the marketing thing. What's that look like? Like your first 90 days, how are you onboarding? How are you kind of getting a plan put together? Yeah. I mean, the, the, one, the thing that I do is I try to first understand the space as much as I can before I start implementing any tactical things. And this is a problem with a lot of marketers. Like they don't do this. Like they get into very execution modes. So they start to grab onto, well, let me grab the PPC channel and look how to optimize with the budget. Or let me go look at the website and start designing graphics and do this. Or let's start, you know, I don't start anywhere near that. So I start with, I, I, I went, I immediately went to our founders and started talking to them. Say, can you give me a crash course in the industry? Just tell us, tell me uh, just what your, why we got into this space. What's our value prop according to you? Uh, why are we winning? Where are we losing? Uh, just all these things that help you frame anything in marketing uh, before you get going, before you actually you know put your put your boots to the ground, right? You don't want to start diving in, start you know implementing any changes until you actually understand the space. And that took a while. It took about a month and a half, two months. I mean, I'm still learning the space as well, but uh, to really get into it and figure it out. 
At the same time, what I'm doing is I'm identifying gaps. So you can do that as well. Before you start implementing anything, you can start to identify gaps. So one of the things I did uh, when I came in was identified, I had a huge content um, uh, gap analysis that I did. And content gap analysis, right, is basically thinking about what are the things that you are talking about or producing? Like this is a content piece we have right now. This is a, this is a podcast, right? Uh, what are the and, and what web pages are we missing? What uh, guides or how tos or best practices? Uh, what gaps do we have in SEO? What gaps do we have in content that's not even talking to the persona that that we 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 say are targeting, right? And then taking all that, aligning it with all the different stages in a buyer cycle, whether it's top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel, and figure out kind of where these are in awareness, consideration, decision area, have all of that. And then before you do anything, your next step is then look at your competition and see what the heck they're doing, right? That helps you frame everything in perspective of like what you need to focus on for your next six, eight, you know, 12 months uh, as you get going in marketing. That's the way I've done it um, in, in the past, and that's why I did it here. And it's it's always been out to be very, very helpful and, and fruitful when you take that you know slower approach to it without stop and not jump in and start executing, executing, executing. Because you can start executing, and then three months down the road, you realize, wow, I just had a totally different focus in an area that I don't even understand. How do you? So one of the things to execute on that uh, is like patience from the founders frankly, mm-hmm. because uh, I think it's easy to fall in this trap of like wanting immediate demand or wanting immediate return on investment. And I feel like marketing is one of those things you have to give it a little bit of time. Yep. You know, you have to put a content strategy together, you gotta go out there, sow seeds, and then you start seeing the uptick in inbound. So what are those conversations like for you with like the business owners, the founders, especially in a startup to like get that that time and patience? Well, it's, I mean, this goes back to anything. It's really said about like expectations, right? I mean, the expectations thing is, is, is huge. I mean, even when I took the, this job, I had said very specifically, this is what I'm really good at. And this is what I'm, these are areas of growth areas for me. Like I'm going to get there, you know, in a you know few months or whatever, but like this stuff I can execute on or, or, or do really, really well. And I have expertise in this area. These are growth areas for me. So if you want immediate results, you're going to get them from the areas I know how to do really, really well. The other areas you just need to, you know, need time to breathe, right? An example of this is uh, search engine, search engine optimization or, or SEO. When I got there, you know, we I realized that we had absolutely no focus whatsoever on getting inbound organic leads to our website. Everything was event driven. And what happened during the pandemic? Uh, that, that wasn't very good. Like all of our events just got totally blown yeah. up, right? We couldn't do anything in terms of events. Everyone, everything went virtual, which is not even close, close to being as, as impactful as in-person events. Right. So when that happened, I looked at our, 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 uh, our, uh, user, uh, traffic rates, uh, month over month. And we were averaging around like 5,000 users a month. Within about 18 months, we've scaled that now to 30,000 new users a month. So do the math on that, right? I mean, taking that and, and having a plan in place to say, listen, we're going to get to a state of, 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 of extremely high growth, high traffic content to our website or, or users to our website, but it's going to take a long time for that to actually to occur. So setting the expectation of like SEO is not immediate. You're not going to see that huge jump within six months, eight months or whatever. But as you start to put out more stuff, you start to optimize your SEO. You start to engage in backlinks and, and build backlinks for uh, for those articles, uh, pointing back to those articles. You'll see that it's compounding over and over and over with your SEO growth. Um, another area that I, I said was setting expectations, we're going to be capped and limited to a certain point until we do something else. Like That's another big thing. Like When you set expectations with the business, is being able to say, this is what we can do, current state, Current budget. This is what we can do, you know, future state, future budget. So the onus then goes back to the business and you say, if you want these things, I can get these for you. But you got to give me some more money. You got to give me some more resources. Get, you know, I'll commit to doing this thing for you, but it's not, I'm not going to sign for something I know it's not going to succeed. And so one of the areas that, um, uh, one of the areas that, that I was just kind of talking to them about was like, we need to make sure that every single, content piece that we push out 
needs to be uh, associated with one parent domain. And we had like three subdomains that were going on to the website. So if you think about it, sometimes people will stand up a website on WordPress and then they, they buy HubSpot. Uh, they buy some other, you know, marketing automation tool, uh, CRM suite. And that tool then will say, well, you can create a website over here. You can create subdomains over here. And what was going on was we had a blog and a resources page that were both blog dot and info dot back to the key factor domain. And what was going on was that those were actually hurting our overall um, SEO score because it didn't recognize it fully as connected to the one parent domain. So a big thing I had to set expectations was like, we have to migrate all this stuff. You know how long it's going to take to migrate all mm -hmm. these blog pages and resource pages over to WordPress? Now, in the long term, it's going to be great for us. But that's another expectation you have to set. You have to set, hey, if you want this, you're going to have to wait a little bit. And oh, by the way, it's going to cost some money to actually get that over. So those are a couple of examples of kind of yep. setting expectations. Yes, yeah, we hired a head of marketing, I guess, three months ago or something. Yep. And uh, he, he's been doing, which is nice to hear, <laughs> just doing a lot of the same things you're doing, you know, like come in and do an observation period, learn the industry, then come back with an initial assessment. Yep. And uh, he, he's actually working with us uh, this week to talk about budget. And uh, he's already kind of set my expectations where he's going to say, look, this is what we can do today. You know, yep. you, you feed the monster and this is a little bit of what you can get. So thinking about that, what are... For marketing, for most folks, it's kind of a black box. You spend money and it's hard to attribute return on investment on some of the stuff. Some things you can yep. from, a, from an outsider's perspective, from a novice's perspective. Like I think Google Ads, like it's easier to attribute leads to that because they came from Google. You're paying for Google. But other things like content marketing and stuff like that, sometimes it's more difficult for the novice to understand if that's good investment. Mm -hmm. Since you're an insider, like, what are you thinking? What are you looking at to see if things are worth the spend or worth the time? Well, I mean, the the example of like Google, um, uh, like Google PPC or display ads or things like that, that is, uh, yeah, you can definitely attribute and say, hey, we spent X amount of money in this particular ad and that got X amount of clicks and X amount of conversions or whatever. But you can do the same thing with content. I mean, I can say, listen, we're going to spend X amount of money on this industry report and I'm going to build systems in place that when they download this report, we can uh, uh, attribute content attribution to this downloading of a report so that we know that they came in through this particular, you know, this, this conversation point. And so if they ultimately convert on like they've submitted a demo request or an SDR reaches out to them or whatever. Well, content influenced that. Marketing influenced that, right? Marketing's influencing everything. So you can't just measure it based off of last touch. Last touch attribution models doesn't tell you the whole picture of like how you're actually, how, how your um, marketing dollars are being used in the entire uh, uh, buyer's journey. And the other thing is that, I mean, even if like, let's, and, and but other, thing, other thing too is like, you can't look at, a um a uh, marketing only through uh, a single funnel stage. So like I would argue, I would argue that a lot of the Google ads that you're going to be uh using um and display or PPC or whatever, right? They're going to be more around a bottom of funnel action. So if I'm looking for a security audit for ISO blah blah blah, right? And you're bidding on those key terms to go after and you click on it you're like kind of like, well, yeah, they should click on it because they're looking for it. They're they're already in that motion, right? But that is that's like demand capture. That's like the easy stuff, right? The the hard stuff is bringing the awareness and getting them to consideration phase, which is it requires a lot more different tactics than just you know putting in uh, money to an ad display on Google. That's not going to get them to convert. Like that's not going to make them move all the way down, right? It may help a little bit, but. Most of that's kind of geared towards this bottom of funnel where they're looking for stuff and they're actually already aware of the problem that they have and they want to you know talk to somebody to then possibly you know purchase or go into a partnership with them. So you got to think about it from that lens of it's not just this how can I attribute uh, ROI to this last touch model? You got to think about through the entire journey. Um, yeah. So when you started at Key Factor, like you, you walk in new industry, uh, you, 
you probably don't know, like, you know, who's the folks on the other end of this thing making the buying decisions? Like, what's yep. your discovery process to kind of figure out personas, think about buying motivators, things like that? So it's it's looking at, it's, it's talking to everybody internally at the company, but then it's also like, so that'd be like the founders, head of products, whatever. It's also talking to the sales team. Like, you've got to talk to the sales team. Like, those are the most, those have the most knowledge like like deep seated knowledge that you may not know about because uh, you just don't. A lot of times marketers aren't even. This blows my mind. A lot of times marketers don't even care to talk to sales about like how they win this deal. They just want to know that they got the deal from a uh, content piece or a PPC thing or an email, so they can go, "Oh, look what we did! Look what marketing did!" It's like mm -hmm. no, like you got to talk to the sales team and figure out like how these conversations went during the sales cycle. How the POC process go? What were the qualifying questions that they had? What were the questions that were indicators that they were actually serious about this and not just typical discovery questions, right? All these discovery questions are usually to help frame up what you're about to present based off that considered need. But what are those unconsidered needs that you had no idea about that actually put you in a position to win against the competition? Those are huge things. I mean, that, those are huge in figuring out like what types of content to focus on and build and what messages to, 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 to actually say and build that, that stuff is huge. Um, so, so definitely talking to sales, um, definitely talking to the, the teams out there. Uh, I, I got connected with customer success and I just said, I need you to connect me with customers and in security, that's really hard. Like, I don't know why, maybe it's because it's security, but everyone is like very cautious about like talking to you about anything. Um, but I just said, Hey, listen, I'll give you a $200 Grubhub card. If I can just talk to you and like somebody's like, all right, well, I won't turn on $200, but getting, I'll easily trade $200 for an hour session of, of, uh, of data that I can use to figure out like what I need to focus on, uh, kind of in the future. Right. Um, another one is like, so in the sale, like talking to the sales team is really good, but a lot of times sales, they don't like, they can't recall like every single detail. Like they'll recall the big moments. So they're really good at the big moments. Like, okay, this is where the tide shifted was this or that. Right. But they don't remember, you know, the titles of these people's a lot of times, like they have, you know, their Salesforce records, but they have a bunch of stuff in there. That's also gold. Like going into the, your Salesforce record yeah. and seeing every single person that was a part of the deal or deal making decision that allows you to say, okay, these are all the different personas that made up this particular deal. Let's go ahead and map them back to persona cards and, and, and have that as a very practical thing so that we can go back to and say, Hey, these five different titles that also I can link to on LinkedIn to show an example of that person aligned to this global, you know, econ technical uh, champion buyer. And that gives us a very practical way of looking at our customer versus going, you know, uh, Suzanne Johnson is a head of security at this company. Her interests are blah, blah, blah. Like that doesn't really do anything for you. It's actually a lazy way to create persona cards. You got to have very particular set of things you can link back to as examples to justify the persona card creation. If not, if you're just making it up on the fly, I feel like. So those are areas where I would go to figure out like the industry, the persona, who we're talking to, what problems we're trying to solve. There's a lot of other stuff too, but those are like the, the table yeah. stakes, what you do. So um, a lot of the, the marketing gurus, you know, it's, it just seems like they're genius marketers. That's the way they market themselves. You know, they, they're yeah. big idea folks. They can, they know the shortcut, the secret, you know, how to get people's oh, attention. I'm, I'm super smart, Christian. Yeah. Look at me. Feel smart. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Versus a system. And, uh, and so like, uh, Ryan McGowan, there's so many Ryans in my life. Ryan McGowan, our chief revenue officer. When he came in, um, he was big about sales systems. So like, yep. you're not going to trick anybody into buying anything. Uh, yeah. So you gotta have a system to bring them and educate them and help them and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, then when I talk to someone who's really good at marketing, I hear a lot of that same stuff. It's like a system. So yeah. how much, what is the balance between creativity? Like I'm just really good at coming up with campaigns and, and stuff versus like I have a system of marketing. Is there some balance or is it just like all system and the gurus are faking it? Well, I mean, it depends on like the gurus, right? I think what you're trying to get to is there's, there is a debate between the aspect of like demand generation, which is usually attributed to things like 
okay, you got to create a campaign that has X amount of elements to it, because what we're going to do is we're going to take them and we're going to put them down this funnel where they're going to enter in this industry report. Then we're going to give them a webinar. Then we're going to give them a, a panel discussion. And then we're going to give them a, um, an event, uh, virtual wine event that we're going to be doing and invite them to that. And then they get closer and closer and closer. Then they're, oh, they're going to look at a buyer's guide. They're going to like that type of thing is like usually what's encapsulated with like demand generation, which is like we're trying to capture the whole point is capturing the lead. You got to capture the lead and then figure out if you if it's a qualified lead to then give it to sales. Like that's basically what it is. There's another aspect that would say, and it's not like it's not saying that you don't. But by, by the way, all those things. The reason why people like all those things because they're very easy to track. So this gets back into your systems question, right? I can easily, if I can, if I can get that person to download this thing, well, awesome. I can get them in the system and I'll have a new lead and I can market to them and I can, I know where they, where they are and I can email them and whatever. It's like, we get really excited about that because we have new people that are coming into this key factor experience that we can then, you know, help figure out how to solve those problems, right? We're trying to figure out who's, who's, who's a prime candidate to, uh, to actually be to, to help, right? Because we want to help these people, right? We're not just trying to like send them stuff and sell them snake oil, right? We're not. We're trying to help people. We're trying to. Yep. We're trying to get get them to a better state, right? Um, but there's this other side of it where this is. There's a lot of talk about like brand and brand voice and brand campaigns and how do you build a brand that's not necessarily connected to that that uh, that very linear funnel that uh, or, or path that we just talked about, and so. These people, and I, I'm not against any. I'm I'm, I'm for both. Case. You need to have both. You, in in your in your marketing bag, you need to have both. That's the that's the final point I was going to make. But getting back to the, the brand part, right? They'll say things like, "Well, why don't you start a podcast?" Like Christian, you're doing a podcast right now. Why don't you start a podcast that, that you actually talk about industry stuff, and not in a way that talks about your your company. But you're talking about a way to give value to somebody, irregardless if they actually become a customer of your, your, your yours or not. And that's great. Like we do that with a lot of panel discussions we have at Key Factor. We'll do a lot of, you know, ask the CIO or ask the C CTO or like lessons learned from crypto experts, right? We bring in these expert people. We don't talk about our product at all. We just talk about solutions and problems and challenges. And that makes you appear that, oh, this brand is very knowledgeable in this space. And I view them as the expert in the space. Now, let me actually go and talk to them about maybe certain needs I have, right? So it's a very, that's an, a, another yeah. example, it's an example of a brand campaign that you would do. Um, other brand campaigns are things that are like, you're totally isolated, you totally isolate what you do from the campaign to get your name out broader. Um, uh, so an example of that was, is at our past company, we do this thing called uh, Software Testing Heroes. And it was all about highlighting the testing heroes in the software testing industry because they're they're usually not looked at as um, you know valuable. I hate to say that word, but valuable as like software developers. You know, they're not paid as much as software developers. They 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 get a lot of flack if something goes out to production. It's not tested properly. So our whole campaign was to celebrate these testing heroes. Right? We didn't talk about Tricentis products. We didn't talk about Tricentis solutions. It was all about. Hey, I want to, yeah, I want to nominate my testing hero, John, uh, you know, over in, um, uh, you know, on my remote team in Michigan, or if you have contractors, you want to remote, you know, do, uh, nominate people that are even across the entire world. Like that'd be a great way to bring awareness to, to these people that are doing an amazing job. Well, that's a way that Tricentis name just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then by the, by that, by your brand being recognized more and more, then people go, well, what's this, what's this company about? Like, what, what do they do? And then you know, they investigate and go, okay, well, maybe I need to look into this. So it, that's another way of, of doing it. Um, but you got to do both. You can't, you can't not do both. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, I think there's also like this hidden benefit of uh, like serving your existing customers or the pride of your existing customers, at least for us. Like we have a bunch of customers that'll reach out everyone's like, Hey, I saw that podcast. That was pretty cool. And, oh, yeah. and they just like it. So it's a good touch point with existing customers, not just that new. Exactly. No, 100%. And then that, that's the other thing. And then when it comes into like customer acquisition versus customer retention, right? A lot of the things that you're doing in that brand area, it, it facilitates both because customers that want to be retained want to be a part of a cool company. They want to, they want to feel like they are, uh, when they're writing the check or, you know, you know, renewing each year that they're renewing with a company that is 
you know, ahead of the curve, up to speed on things, and they can be proud of that company. You know, even if it's like a ancillary thing. Like for me, I'm really proud to use some of our software, uh, our some of our software marketing tools. Like, and I was like, and I view these tools as the de facto leader in the space. And it'd be very hard pressed to convince me otherwise. Even if they've got another, a lot of other tools that are out there that do the same thing, even at lower prices, probably. I'm still going to go with these this 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 company over here. Yeah. Um, because I want to. I was going to say one more thing before, about that too, which is. I think I didn't mention, which is uh, the community building aspect. So this is this works really, really well with um, uh, open source teams or freemium models that are out there, which is, hey, we want to give you something away for free and build a community around it so that you get value out of this and you recognize value very quickly. And guess what? If you all, If you only use that freemium model, if you only go the open source route and don't look to upgrade into enterprise model, that's okay. We still love you. We still care about you. We're still going to keep pouring into that community because it shows you that you have this, you have this trust with your, this, this community that if they eventually go, you know what? I think I want to go into the next year or whatever. You're really going to be the first person they reach out to. They're not going to start this whole process all over again, mm-hmm. right? They're going to go, Hey, I'm built into this community. I love this community. This is great. Um, and from there, you know, let's see how, how it goes. But uh, they're not going to just cut bait and just run and go get uh, go do that whole process all over again. It's it's not yep. worth their time. Yeah, we did that. The way we motivated ourselves to start creating videos was uh, we were like, look, let's just out teach the competition. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I don't know if this is going to result in leads, but let's just start putting free security training out there. Let's talk about things people care about. And uh, the worst thing that can happen is people find value in it and they appreciate us you know, creating well, it. Well, so and, with that, that. W- and with that aspect too, is like, I, I think a lot of times when people hear this, they think it's kind of like a bait and switch, but it's not, you're not, you're not trying to do that. You are actually, d- the only reason that people would say that is if they listen to something or read something or part of something, they saw no value in it. Well, in that case, they were not, they're not going to continue. If you continually see value and experience value, it's not a bait and switch. It's just say, Hey, do you, can we help you do something else? And, and that, that's a, that's a win-win for both parties. Yeah, for sure. Um, so thinking about like stuff that non-marketers care about, like what was I talking about before we hired head of marketing? Um, I made a list of stuff. Uh, and I would just want to get your take on it. So I think the number one thing that comes up is just website. Like everybody wants a yep. cool website, wants it to look nice, you know, SEO, all, all the things that you hear about. What are you thinking when you see website? How important is is it? What's, what factors should be considered? So the website is your number one uh, marketing asset at your company by far. And it's not because of just, and I don't say that just because of the design elements, right? It's because like 80 to 90% of any type of lead volume is probably going to come through your website. I mean, you have... SDRs and BDRs and partner relationships, right? You're building all that stuff out, right? But the majority of interest is primarily going to come through your websites. You have to have it optimized to get people there and keep people there. That's like the main thing. Now, one thing I do think is that design on websites can be way over-engineered, like extremely over-engineered to where it doesn't have a user experience that you... What that would hold somebody's attention on the website, and what I mean by that is, if you look at a lot of the like very uh, prosperous product-led companies out there, like HashiCorp and Atlassian and um, Salesforce and whatever, their websites are not super flashy. They're they're kind of boring. I mean, they're great, they're beautifully designed, but they're kind of boring in that they have a lot of static images they don't have a ton of video everywhere they don't have all these graphic motions going everywhere you know they they're not trying to be cute and whatever what they're trying to do is just say this is what we do and be very clear about the value of our products on each and every page that you go to so what you're doing is you're optimizing your website so that you're not for not for hey look how cool marketing is in our website look look at this is our output of our of us on our website no it's not about us it's about if a customer comes to your website how are are you are you giving them enough information and not distracting them uh in a way that they're going to want to proceed to contact you right i mean how many times you go to websites you're like oh my gosh what is this thing you like hop out of there like and it was really cool and flashy and whatever but if it's too busy and too 
you know, uh, too, too out there, you're not going to hold somebody's attention. Or you just don't know how to buy. I've been to websites. I wasn't previously conscious of this, but now that I'm trying to actually harvest, you know, opportunities through a website, I've been to websites that give you a ton of good content, mm-hmm. but there's like, no, like, I don't know how to reach out. Like, how do I, yeah, how do I reach out? Yeah. yeah. So how it's like, I... oh, that's weird. Um, so what are like, uh, are there like two or three things that you see, you know, if you're thinking through a website, that's like bang for your buck? Uh, so I look, yeah, I look for a clear call to actions. So that's, that's, that, that would be to your point, which is like, how do I, how do I actually like do something? <laughs> um, a extremely, uh, this is a, this could be a little bit of a, uh, I'm going to say two things here, extremely like, uh, informative navigation, but not being busy. That's a hard one. Uh, so a lot of times like the navigation is like you go there navigation. There's like a billion things on there. Right. Because you're like, Oh, look at all the stuff we do. And yeah. we, you know, you just hit their webpage and you want to make sure you can show everything. Right. So making sure you have a really good navigation, but it's not like overbearing because, and then all the other pages you want to get to make sure they're optimized for SEO and whatever. But I'll give you an example why that's really important. We have, we have a tool that we put on our website that, um, uh, basically shows you the heat map and the user experience somebody going to the website. So we spend a lot of time on our homepage, like, oh, homepage has got to be awesome. Got to have all this content on the homepage. Got to make sure whatever, right? What we found is that, like the majority of people that come to our homepage was it, it's like 30%, only 30% scroll. And so what that tells you is that somebody is evaluating immediately whether or not they're going to entertain anything you have to say based off of just the first, you know, uh, the first uh, painted screen that you see uh, on your laptop. So basically this much, that's it. Yep. And what they do is you see all the data shows, they immediately go to the navigation. So what that's telling you is that you need to have an amazing, like, like whatever your message is at the very beginning. Above the fold, yeah. Above the fold, make sure that's money. And then make sure that navigation is spot on because everyone is trying to figure out they're, they, they don't, it's almost like they're wanting to tell you, I don't want you to tell me anything. I want to go figure it out myself. And so like, so, so there's that. So I'd say, so one is clear CTAs. Two is a really good navigation. And uh, three is like basically a why, why care? Why do I even care? So, I mean, one of the big things that, that, um, that uh, we built uh, over the past year or actually this, this is like a few months, like two months ago is that we, we talked about like two that we, we built a pay or a section was called Y key factor. So if you go to, if you go to a lot of places or a lot of websites, they have basically product solutions, blog company partners, whatever. Right. And you see more and more people, what they're doing is they're bringing in a section. that's like why, and then their company name, the reason, and that's, it's actually a really like important thing. Like the reason is they're looking for validation. Like Mm -hmm. they're, they're almost like, you know, a lot of times you, you, you always say like, don't talk about yourself, talk about your customers. Yes, that's true. But if people are in a buying decision, their next step is like, okay, I've narrowed it down to key factor and two other products. Right. Okay. Uh, Why should I choose key factor? Right. And they immediately go, well, why should I choose them? Right. If, if, and and a lot of times, even when you have a lot of product parity, which is everywhere these days, you got to stand out on a message. So is it, if, if it's not a message and it's not a, something you're going to buy into of like why this company is so much better than anything that's out there, you're immediately going to go to a price compare or a feature compare and you're going to default to price, which is not where you want to be in enterprise sales. That doesn't, that doesn't uh, go well for uh, anybody because you have the people that are doing price cuts. And this is true. I'm saying this as a, a very, you know, obviously... Um, I could say that and, and, and be biased and okay, well, I want everyone to come buy from key factor. Uh, but the problem is, is that even people that price, if they're a person was going to price lower than us, or we we're going to price lower than the co- competitor that has an actual, a, a, usually a detriment to the customer, meaning they're just trying to price cut to win the deal. But when it comes to implementation and all these other things, they basically are, are not going to be profitable off of this sale. So what they're going to do is try to cut a bunch of corners. They're going to try to figure mm-hmm. out ways to save costs, right? And that really good price point that you thought was really good 
now becomes something that's kind of a, a risk to your business because now you can't get the thing off the ground. You have problems with deployment issues and all that. So it's important for people to buy into a, you know, why change, why this, 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 this company that I'm going to go with. Yep. And they have that validation that backs up that decision, especially enterprise sales when you're not, you know, you're not buying a $24 a month subscription service for five teams. You know, you're, you're purchasing enterprise software. Yeah. That calls back to like, I remember us being in the sales cycle sometimes and, uh, you know, we've had customers literally say, I'm preparing for an executive meeting. Like, can I get some talking points? Like, I just yep. want them to feel really good about risk 360. Like what yeah. clients did you yeah. serve? What's your value prop? And, uh, and we've talked about like, yeah, adding that we have some, uh, like actually some decks that like we provide to clients, like, Hey, if you're needing to sell this internally, like here's a little bit about us just to help out. Oh yeah. But oh, put yeah. It around the website, it's helpful too. Um, social media. So like, I feel like this is the most controversial topic because I mean, it, it, there's a lot of variables. Are you B to C? Are you B to B? Which social yeah. media channels? Is there any, you know, am I on TikTok or am I on LinkedIn? But, but what's your take on it? Social media worth the time? Is it a distraction? Well, social media is, is table stakes. Like you have to do it. Um, at least in terms of showing that you're current on uh, things that are out there. So, um, and, and for it, it, social media also goes beyond just a, and I'm, we're not talking about paid social we're, here, here. We're talking about just organic social. Is yep. that correct? Is it? Yeah. It's organic yep. social. Right. And I would, I would usually classify those in, in, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Right. And a lot, I mean, YouTube, I don't, I don't really, YouTube's not, it's a video, it's a media platform. Um, I, I guess Instagram is another one. I don't think our company's on Instagram. It just doesn't. Doesn't make sense. But we're on those those areas, right? So one using social media is to, to in case this goes back to that marketing attribution model, right? Which is like, okay, well, let's say again, you're getting into this buying motion. You're getting into this. Okay, I want to investigate this company. Looks pretty good. Okay, let me go check them out on other areas. Are they up to up to speed on what's going on in the industry? What, what are they doing for um, uh, their own community? Like, what are they? Uh, how, how is their careers? Like, what do they look like on glass door? Like, did, yeah. is this a company that, that looks good on glass door? Like all those things come into play, not just for your potential customers, but also for your, your future employees as well. Like, I don't know about you, but if I were to go look for a new job, I'm going to go to glass door. I'm going to go to Twitter. I'm going to go to Facebook. I'm going to look at all these different channels to see what type of company this is. Yep. Right. I'll get a, a, a more holistic picture for that. And then if I'm actually going in and buying software as well, like, I'll go and I'll check out their LinkedIn. I'll check out like what 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 are they what are they into? Are they do they do you know do they have a good um, uh, a good stance on the things that I care about? You know, I mean, companies are getting more and more uh, social political and a lot of the things that that go on. So it's important to kind of have uh, a lot of that uh, as a frame of reference when you're actually going and buying stuff or whatever. Um, the other thing was the, the social media is really great. Is is also is is internal. Um, uh, uh, say culture uh, for your own company. It's the best way to celebrate other people at your company publicly, right? We do a lot of that here at Key Factor. We've got this tool called Lattice. Uh, it's an awesome, it's an internal um, HR goal setting tool. So we, I sit down every quarter and I have here are my KPIs and goals for you know each quarter, and here's my team, and here's what we're going to do, and whatever, right? But it's also really cool is I can I can give feedback publicly or privately to somebody on my team. And 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 what's really awesome is Mary Matthews, our HR, uh, head of HR, she sends out every Friday a recap of all the public uh, praises cool. people have gotten to the entire company. And think about that. You could do that same thing on LinkedIn or, or, or Twitter or whatever it is, right? Internal and public praise. So I think, I think the social media and, and social goes more... If you're just looking at through the lens of like, oh, how can I organically get a lead from social that's not paid, that is like, that's not going to happen. Uh, it's, it's, it's not, not going to happen. It's just, I would not bet on that. I mean, if you look at the amount of traffic that comes from like to the website from social, that's also one of the lowest points for our perspective that gets traffic to the website as well. So anyway, just like you got to do it. But if you look at it through a way of all these other things that are going to add to it, uh, besides the, you know, the lead angle, which I don't think is a good way to view yeah. it, then uh, I think it's great. So I had a bunch of uh, social conferences, paid, getting press, website, 
where where is the main source of leads coming from from your experience is it a little bit of everything you kind of just one of those things you got to invest in everything or is there like one or two channels that you know companies should really be thinking about if they want to if their goal is leads well yeah i mean it it really does depend on like the 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 seller emotion as well like i mean if you're a very partner led company then you just know that most of your leads are coming come through partners. So you're marketing to partners mm-hmm. more so than you're marketing to end user clients, right? So for us, we have a partner channel and we have a direct sales channel. So we, you know, most of our leads are coming through direct sales and a lot of them are coming through partners as well, but most of them are direct sales. So how do you feel the direct sales funnel? We do always different things, right? Um, but I mean, in terms of like the, what you just said is accurate. I mean, you need a mix of everything because the goal of the the goal of uh, uh, I mean number one the, the 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 main the two main traffic sources are going to get your website are going to be uh, 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 brand uh, brand name keywords so key factor this key factor that whatever it is and then non branded keywords like that those are going to get you by far the most traffic to your website out of anybody but if you're talking about like what do you need to invest in to to have this holistic approach to marketing it's you need to invest in everything. Uh, uh, to some degree, but focus on the areas that you know are going to drive the most opportunistic areas to convert a lead. And the reason why I say that is because uh, we had been talking earlier about this whole idea that there's this there's this funnel, right? This top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel. That's a good way to frame things in terms of like the focus areas for different pieces of marketing campaigns or content you do. So, you know, video here is, you know, this is a top of funnel video, but this on-demand demo down here that's more bottom of funnel so people are actually in a buying motion that can go and like watch the video and do whatever right but the reality is marketing's job isn't to build a slide it's to build a playground right so we want people to come in and they go oh look at this key factor playground oh there's the monkey bars there's the swing there's a merry-go-round there's a slide okay and all those could represent different areas of your marketing thing because nobody's going to come through and go down this funnel in that specific way yeah. Right. They may come in and they be maybe maybe top funnel, middle funnel, bottom of funnel, and you but you got to have the 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 tools uh, necessary for them to experience uh, you know experience that. Yeah, makes sense. Have you um last thing have have you seen a shift in um like marketing is traditionally I feel like you know to get sales, but for a lot of companies right now the hardest thing is to get employees. Yeah. So are you guys having any conversations about like, look, our leads are actually trying to build a brand that employees want to work for. Have you seen any of that? Yeah. I mean, this job market right now is bonkers. I mean, (laughs) I mean, you know, just like, you know, housing prices right now, I feel like the job market is insanely inflated in terms of because people with the ability to uh, you know, with the ability to go in this direction or that direction or, or, or go work in, you know, the suburbs of whatever and still work from home or, or whatever, they just have all that autonomy now that they, they previously didn't have. And so they can be very specific and very picky about who they want to go work for. And so, I mean, for, for us, a key factor, yeah, we're constantly uh, about, are, are figuring out ways and incentives for people to be, you know, to view us as one of the best companies out there to work for. So that's why we, you know, we do things like, you know, uh, uh, no, um, uh, no tracked PTO. We do hundred percent healthcare cover. We do, uh, stock options, uh, uh, for, for, for some that come and join, we do, um, a great, you know, maternity and paternity policy. Uh, we have, you know, very good work from home policy, you know, as of right now, we want to go to more of a hybrid approach, I think in the future, for sure. I mean, I miss going in the office, so, um, I'm, uh, I'd be down with that. Um, you know, we do things like second Fridays uh, of each month. So sometimes, you know, our 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 our, um, our boss Jordan he ex- he actually extended all of second Friday uh, to be uh, of uh, each month. So once a month, but every second Friday of each month is for everyone to just take the day off. And you know, if you're not in a you know, 24 hour, you know, support operations perspective, they trade off, obviously, we don't just say yeah. everybody go home. But if you're not in one of those positions, it's like, hey, go home, emails are not encouraged, uh, spend time with your family, you know, do some things um, and do that. And then, uh, you know, a couple other things that we do. Um, obviously, we, we get time off to do community events. That's been a, a fun thing to be a part of. Um, 
There's another big one that I always forget. Oh, I mean, th- these is, this is one that um, isn't all the time, but it's kind of sporadic. So during the pandemic, like a big thing, I mean, uh, our CEO and our HR team, we were very, very cautious about just making sure that everyone felt very safe during the pandemic. So it was basically like, listen, you got to go take your kid somewhere. You got to do this. Gotta, you, that is your number one priority. Uh, I think they gave us at one point, they gave us like a $200, you know, cleaning expense fee to use at any time we wanted That's to. Cool. I mean, just like stuff like that. to just show to the, to, to everyone that, Hey, we care about you. We really do care about you. Uh, and we want to make sure that you're valued as, you know, person, not just an employee at key factor and that stuff can hold, you know, yeah. if it needs to. So stuff like that, is just yeah. very powerful. To it's just crazy. Clear. Yeah. I mean, we're a you know, 40 person company and well, it's just funny that uh, it's come to this point, which I think is a good thing. We're like, we do a lot of the same things like unlimited PTO, we do a sabbatical program, hundred yep. percent healthcare, uh, hybrid work environment, you know, the list goes on. But it's cool that the job market is such and that companies are rising to the occasion to provide these benefits. Because I feel like if you went 20 years back, like anyone doing any of that stuff would have been like crazy, you know, like oh, the Googles yeah. of the world are doing it. Now you have these startups like us, you know, offering a lot of those same really good benefits. So that's good. That's a good thing. That's cool, though. Yeah. So, uh, Ryan, thanks so much for, for joining, man. Uh, yeah, for sure. If folks want to learn more about Key Factor, learn more about you, where can they go? Uh, KeyFactor.com. Uh, pretty easy to spell and you can reach out to me, uh, LinkedIn slash Ryan Yackle. I think it is for, for me, but, uh, yeah, call If you need help with anything, PKI certificate management related, let me know. I'm happy to help. Yeah. They can uh, visit keyfactor.com and see all of your mastery to see how good it is. Well, I'll I'll claim (laughs) some, not all of it. You know, I want to make sure. Awesome. Well, if you guys enjoyed listening to stuff like this, you can check out Tuesday morning grind podcast on any of the podcast apps where you listen to uh, podcasts. Or you can check us out on YouTube, just search Risk 360 and you'll see that we have a play- playlist there. If you're wanting to build, certify, secure a security or privacy program, you can visit risk360.com, reach out to us, and we'll be in touch. So thanks, Ryan. Yeah, man.